don't know what's going on in Putin's head. He seems pretty corded at the moment. He's 70, he's getting old, so he's lived an incredible life. Maybe that means he cares less about the future. I don't know, I'm just, I'm just hypothesizing. And you know, Russia takes its claims to these areas very seriously. I, I think a lot more seriously than the rest of the world cares about them. Certainly the average person you know, couldn't care less. They wouldn't know where Donbass is, they wouldn't know where Ukraine is. So it's a very scary situation. It, it surprises me there's not even a starker fall in stock markets and so forth you know, because of the prospect of you know, very serious uh, cataclysmic events. And I think these terrorist attacks on the bridge and the pipelines and all that sort of stuff is making it even more uh, scary because it's humiliating uh, Russia and him and he doesn't like being humiliated. So yeah, look, I think it's I think it's very scary. And I wish the US would be you know, kind of pushing for peace and trying to get some sort of settlement. Welcome to the New Flesh podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro and with me is just plain old Ricky Allpike. Yep, that's me playing old Ricky or Pike. Well, today on the cards, we are talking all things US, US politics. We're also talking about uh, the war in Ukraine with our uh, very good guest, very good friend, Mr. Adam Crichton. This is our US correspondent. Yes, our man in the US. Yes. Well, uh, all right. Well, I don't know. Uh, let's, let's do it. Adam Crichton is a journalist and the Washington correspondent for The Australian, where he was previously the economics editor. Uh, Adam has also written for The Wall Street Journal and The Economist. He's received several awards for his journalism and writing and first appeared on our show back in May 2022. That's episode 110. And we're thrilled to have our man in the US back to tell us what's happening stateside. Adam, welcome back. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. So a general question, just to begin with, what is the political mood like in the States at the moment? Uh, well, look, I mean, as you know, this is such a polarised country uh, and that hasn't changed. Uh, I think the Trump phenomenon did that even more. Uh, whether or not you, you support Trump, I think you have to acknowledge that it created uh, great polarisation. I mean, the political focus over here right now, of course, especially in Washington, is on the midterm elections, uh, which are coming up on the 8th of November, <clears throat> so a little bit less than four weeks away. And Throughout the summer, uh, Democrats were getting very excited because, uh, for whatever reason, although most people think it's it's because of the High Court's um, a decision about abortion, uh, their political fortunes were steadily improving. Uh, the president and the party uh, were creeping up in the polls, and that was reflected in the betting markets here, which uh, I think at about July or maybe the start of August gave the Democrats the greater chance of holding on to the Senate which is very important. As you know, there's two chambers, just like ours, the Senate, the House of Representatives. They're both controlled just by the Democrats, very slim margins. And it had been the conventional wisdom since Biden took office that Republicans would win both chambers in a landslide in November. And that's no longer the conventional wisdom. Uh, Most people still think that Republicans will take the House of Representatives, which is historically what happens, that the party not in the White House tends to do well in midterms. But Democrats' fortunes have improved to the point that most people think that they'll keep the Senate. I mean, I personally don't think they'll keep the Senate. And the Senate, by the way, is 50-50. You probably know that. So very, very tight. It's only because the vice president is also the president of the Senate. She has a casting vote. So they have a majority, effectively. Um, So the political mood is just intense focus on that. And I guess the ramifications of what happens, so many of the Republican uh, candidates are Trump picks. Uh, and so that's going to reflect on Trump himself, obviously, depending on how Republicans do. If they do badly, if they don't retake the Senate, which I think would be very embarrassing, uh, because historically, as I said earlier, party not in the White House tends to do well in midterms. So if they don't take it, it's going to be very bad. 
for the Republicans. I think reflect badly on Trump. Um, so yeah, so so they're the focuses. I guess at the moment, obviously the economic backdrop is you know somewhat scary. We've we've still got inflation at eight percent. Actually, the figure comes out in about one hour. Actually, for um, for let me see for September. Uh, <clears throat> so so we'll see whether it's starting to fall. What we saw last month, it's not. And I think we've had you know plus eight percent now for six months, which is extraordinary, and more than five percent for eighteen months. So there's a serious problem. It's certainly not transitory, as uh, as the Federal Reserve Chairman famously said last year. So look, I think the economy is a big focus, and the midterms are a big focus. So not so not white supremacy. <laughs> no, not white supremacy. I mean, <laughs> oh. I guess if you're reading the New York Times all the time, maybe maybe that's your focus. But you know, I try to read broad range of media, and uh, no, not white supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we wanted to uh, get a little bit into uh, the war in the Ukraine in just a moment, but you mentioned Donald Trump, and in, in an article in the Australian recently, you said that the gloss might be coming off the former president. Um, even for some of his dedicated followers. Uh, why do you think that Donald has, has taken a bit of a dive recently? Well, look, it's just the sheer number of inquiries and investigations into him. I mean, if you throw enough mud, some of it is going to stick. And that's not to say the inquiries aren't justified. I'm just saying that in a political sense, if you're Joe Average and, you know, you kind of pay vague attention to the media, then you're going to be hearing, oh, God, there's another inquiry, another one. Yeah, the FBI wrote at his home. Now this, now that. You're going to start to think that he did at least something wrong. Uh, <laughs> and I think that has hit his standing both throughout America and within the Republican Party. I mean, I talk to a lot of Republican strategists uh, here in D.C., and honestly 90% of them just off the record, they can't wait to see the back of him. But they always say off the record because he's still very powerful. <laughs> so, so they don't want to be quoted saying that. But it's pretty clear the party really wants to see the end of him because he's so divisive and they think that he couldn't win again in 24. Mm. Uh, I mean, he did lose by, you know, quite a few million votes in 2020. And since 2020, there's a lot more bad stuff happened uh, from the Trump point of view, the Gen 6 riots, congressional hearings, the FBI, riot, you know, so they say, do you really think that he could win again? I mean, I, I tend to agree with them. I don't, I don't think he could. Uh, and so I think, I think that they're right to hope that he goes away. Then again, he's certainly got, you know, you know, he's dedicated, you know, 25% of US voters or maybe 20% of US voters who absolutely adore him and will go to the rallies and they'll give money. I mean, he's a fundraising extravaganza still. He's got hundreds of millions of dollars in fundraising, which he's just started spending actually just in the last couple of weeks on some of his Senate candidates who are struggling, which is interesting. So, look, yeah, sort of I think the gloss is coming off. I think the FBI raid really hurt him. You know, whether you think it was overreach, I, you know, I mean, I happen to think that they, you know, they, they should have tried other means uh, sooner before, you know, before raiding his home. But it seems he did something wrong with the documents. I mean, that's, that's my view. I mean, it's a kind of a silly abstract issue in a sense, but he should have known better, you mm. know. But, but, but what's the hazard, though? No one's sending the FBI to rifle through uh, George W. Bush's new paintings and see if there's any pictures of <laughs> WMDs or whatever. Yeah, look, and I, I mean, I wrote a column early on in this, you know, week after the saga, basically saying, look, this is mountain out of a molehill. He may have technically broke the law, but... We all technically break the law every day. We don't. We don't go to jail. <laughs> um, so it's a matter of you know who prosecutes, etc. And look, I'm sure there is some um, you know, political motivation to it. I mean, he's deeply loathed by the elites in this country, mm. and that includes you know the Department of Justice, the FBI, and certainly the Democratic Party. Some people in the Republican Party. I mean, he's a very hated man. Um, 
and you'd have to think that that may have motivated some of the you know some of this uh, this this push to convict him um but you know whatever you think of the merits of the case i think it's i think it's hurt him so there was all that chatter of him announcing a presidential bid but he hasn't so that's that's kind of interesting well he's he's not he's not the kind of guy that uh that likes to lose and do you think, given that, that the chances he could lose twice are on the cards if he runs again, that, that he just won't run? Yeah, look, I think that's it. I think that's it. I'm, I mean, he would not want to lose at all. He'd be so embarrassed and humiliated, especially to Joe Biden again. And I was just talking to a Dem strategist yesterday, and, you know, a pretty senior one. He was emphatic Joe Biden will run again, which kind of surprised me. I don't think he will, but, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's still, it's still two and a bit years away. But um, because you've seen, you know, Biden's mental... Uh, Mental decline, I think, has been you know pretty pronounced and obvious. I mean, it's, you know, it's are people worried about about the, oh, yeah. Joe Biden? If you look at the polls, I think something like well, certainly more than half of Americans think that he's that that his mental capabilities have seriously declined. Because the new more stuff, the new stuff he's doing makes the makes corn pop, and the old stuff look like sort of his early his early work like look quite <laughs> yeah. good <laughs> you know i mean it is it's very entertaining i mean kamala harris is very entertaining too i mean oh, i read yeah. a column a few weeks ago which was a big hit just saying that this is the funniest presidency ever far funnier andy than kaufman Trump's. andy kaufman style performance of hers i think it's it's genius it's too good it to be genius. true it's just so funny um mm. you know there's almost a new gag every day whether it's you know kamala in North Korea, you know, hailing the US alliance with Pyongyang yeah. or, you know, Joe's wife having to escort him off the stage at some speech. I mean, it's just, it's really good. It's very well, the, the, there's always chatter around uh, whether the Democrats are going to oust Biden early because of that cognitive decline. But do you think he kind of has a bit of a fail safe because Kamala, Kamala Harris is, you know, I mean, she would take over and she's not very popular. So that's true. She's less popular than him. Um you know, the Democrat bench, if you like, is very weak. In fact, it's hard to even think of anyone who's on it. Um, no, uh, they're structural. Yeah, well, that's what that's what everyone says. Uh, he's, he's but it's hard to believe that he's going to be successful nationally, given. I mean, it, sure, he's popular in California, but that's an unusual. You know, it's an unusual state. It's very left wing, very progressive. Uh, you know, I think I think a savvy Republican could point to a lot of statistics about California and say, "Do you want the U.S. to be like this?" And I think most Americans would say no. So, but look, I mean, it would be it would be very interesting. I mean, he's very charismatic. He's good looking. He's got a lot going for him. Um, so maybe he'll challenge. But if Biden does choose to run again, it would be very unusual for another Democrat to challenge him. Mm. I think I think the last time that happened was with Carter in the. In the whenever that was, 76 or something, when Ted Kennedy challenged him. So it doesn't happen very often. Um, so we'll see. Before we go global, how much tolerance do, pe- do you think people have for this culture war stuff on, on both sides? So, you know, Biden's creepy MAGA Republican speech recently where he had the bright red background, also known as what, yeah. Dark Brandon speech or whatever, and DeSantis's like, war on Disney. You know, is this stuff really going to animate the voters? Well, look, I think, I think the sad fact is that it does. And that's why the hard heads in both parties recommend it because, remember, it's voluntary voting here, so you've got to get the base out. Um, and the way to get the base out is to make them really angry. So that's why the Dems do it, all that semi-fascism nonsense. And and the Republicans do it too with, you know, kind of a caricaturing you know, some elements of the left, I mean, uh, to get their base out as well. So, you know, that's maybe one advantage of our system back home where everyone has to vote. You don't have to worry about doing that. So politicians don't do it. 
Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like compulsory voting sort of pulls everyone a little bit more to the centre. You know, oh, it does. Because politicians have to appeal to a, a, a wider. I mean, base, it's got so. its other problems. I mean, it it, uh, it makes the standard of, of a political debate extremely stupid, right? Because you have to concentrate on the median person who has no idea and doesn't care. Mm. That's the person you're talking to. And so you get the most banal stupidities uttered by our politicians over and over again. And you're reporting on it. It's very embarrassing and humiliating because it's like, that's just meaningless crap. I saw a story today. <laughs> I, I saw a story today of Albo arguing with uh, the Dominic Perte, uh, the New, New South Wales Premier. They were arguing about uh, taking a sign off a rugby stadium and like two schoolboys, you know, they look pissed as well, by the way. And it was, yeah, it was well, that's ridiculous. But, but to the median person, that's a big issue, right? right. That matters. <laughs> You'd never get politicians talking about that here because the base, the two political bases who are very politically motivated and aware couldn't care less about the stupid sports stadium. Yeah. So, mm. so yeah, so that's a good example of the different, of, you know, kind of how the different systems lead to different debate. Mm, yeah. Well, perhaps let's take this thing global. Uh, recently, Elon Musk has been criticised for suggesting a negotiation over the war in Ukraine. Now, you've written quite passionately about the current situation there. Uh, your piece in The Australian got me a little worried. Uh, is nuclear war on the cards? Well, look, according to Joe Hockey, it's 30%. <laughs> so that was a story I wrote in recent days. Uh, that's what he said to his clients. I certainly hope it's not that. Uh, but I just think that there's a sense in the debate about the war and how the US should respond. There's a, there's an air of flippancy about, or frivolity about the possibility of nuclear war, as if it wouldn't affect us, it'd just affect other people. <laughs> no, 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 it would basically destroy everything. Uh, and look, I think it's a very remote chance, but even if it's a very remote chance, that's still a great concern. You know, people make the valid point that it's, you know, it's not rational for Russia to do that, and it's not. But, you know, humans are not uh, 100% rational. <laughs> you know, I think emotion and, and passion guide a lot of our decisions much more than ra rationality, and so you, you don't know what's going on in Putin's head. He seems pretty cornered at the moment. He's 70, he's getting old, so he's lived an incredible life. Maybe that means he cares less about the future. I don't know. I'm just I'm just hypothesising. And, you know, Russia takes its claims to these areas very seriously. I, th I think a lot more seriously than the rest of the world cares about them. Certainly the average person, you know, couldn't care less. They wouldn't know where Donbass is. They wouldn't know where Ukraine is. So it's a very scary situation. It, it surprises me there's not even a starker fall in stock markets and so forth, you know, because of the prospect of, you know, very serious uh, cataclysmic events. And I think these terrorist attacks on the bridge and the pipelines and all that sort of stuff is making it even more uh, scary because it's humiliating uh, Russia and him and he doesn't like being humiliated. So, yeah, look, I think it's I think it's very scary and I wish the US would be, you know, kind of pushing for peace and trying to get some sort of settlement, which is what Elon Musk was trying to do in that tweet mm -hmm. and he was, you know, excoriated for it. And, and what do you think of this sort of uh, emboldening of, of Zelensky and, and the Ukraine? We, we've got... Uh, so the bridge is one thing. Um, we're to believe that there was also an assassination recently in in Russia by possibly Ukrainian forces of, of a... Was it like an oligarch's daughter or something like that? Yeah, well, this is the great... Well, this is the reason why the US doesn't want to give them super long-range missiles because, you know, they'll say, oh, of course we won't shoot into Russia, but, you know, they might. And then it could be a very, very serious escalation, right? And that that's... A, yeah, the assassination is just a small, you know, small-scale example of that sort of a phenomenon that could happen. So, yeah, look, I mean, Ukraine, I mean, I prior to the war, um, 
the media was very critical of Ukraine. It's corruption and, you know, there are lots of articles about fascism there and it's, 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 it's a shady past in the Second World War and the treatment of the Russians in the East and all sorts of stuff like that. That's not reported on anymore. Okay, obviously it's all gone. It's almost been, you know, whitewashed uh, because there's a war on and we've got to back our guys. So, you know, there's a lot of propaganda. In fact, a good point to make, I think, about the whole thing is... We all know the first casualty of war is truth. I can't remember who said that, but it's a very good quote. And so pretty much now that there's a war on, uh, you can't believe very much of what you read. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, certainly Ukraine would have a massive vested interest in producing as much anti-Russian propaganda as possible. That's just expected and normal and rational. And Russia would have the same incentives and the US has the same incentives. So I just find reading the news stories about the war, I kind of take it with a grain of salt. And I mean, some examples are... We heard for six months Putin was about to die of blood cancer or something, right? Well, it's clearly ridiculous. He hasn't died and it looks fine. So, you know, where did that come from? You know, like, you know, who was pushing that story? Or the thing about recently he, he stole school children or something. I mean, I, I personally found that completely absurd. It reminded me of the First World War propaganda when uh, British, Australian, American media were, you know, had pictures of Germans eating children. Mm. Um, you know, both sides do that to really you know, rally the troops, so to speak. So anyway, the point is, you know, we just don't know how this war is going to end. And if you read the Western press, you think that Russia's imminently going to lose. But I just, I'm a bit more sceptical about that. And I thought what was very interesting was how Saudi Arabia, just a couple of weeks ago, and this is what really made me think, we keep hearing every day Russia's about to lose, and then Saudi Arabia very openly sides with Russia. That's very strange, right? If you, why would you side with a country that is about to collapse? That doesn't make any sense. And not only that but side with a country against the US, which has been, you know, your ally for many decades. I mean, it really, and, and that's why you saw yesterday, President Biden said that the US is going to reevaluate its relations with Saudi Arabia, which could be very bad for Saudi Arabia. But clearly they thought it was better to side with Russia. So they clearly can't be reading the New York Times and CNN in, in Saudi Arabia, because if mm. they had it then, they would have realised Russia's going to lose next week. They don't so also I, don't know that Russia's got a, a white supremacy problem. As well, if they're not reading the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so anyway, I, you know, my fear is this war goes for years and years. Wow. Uh, because Russia's never going never gonna to withdraw from those provinces. Yeah. And it, it would happily lose tens of thousands of soldiers to keep it. And the interesting thing will be is if Republicans take control of one of the chambers in three weeks, does the money get turned off for Ukraine? Because remember, Congress uh, controls the purse strings. <clears throat> and they could stop any further money going there. It's the Democrats who are the hawks on this, right? Yeah, look, I mean, there's hawks in both parties. I mean, the Trump side of the, the, Trump side of the Republican Party is quite isolationist. I don't think they would be as involved. But, yeah, I think the Democrats have become kind of the globalist warmonger-type party, which is, which is odd and weird. But, yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Look, mm. I think in the case of Russia, though, they just hate Putin because they think he helped Trump in 2016. So there's this visceral hatred of him personally. Uh, are there still people holding on to that? Because that's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's obvious nonsense from first principles. Like, the idea of Putin's kind of micromanaging the US election is completely absurd. But, um, but no, it's an article of faith amongst a lot of Democrats that if it wasn't for Putin, Trump wouldn't have won. And that they're somehow, you know, mates or something. It, it's, it's very strange. I, I, I'd be the first to admit that, that I've, I know virtually nothing about Russia and UK uh, and the Ukraine and their relations with each other and the history between those two countries, but uh, but amassing weapons on the Russian border as as has been done through NATO isn't that a little like 
it's kind of like the Cuban Missile Crisis, where, you know, I mean, the, the US wasn't too pleased about weapons on their border, so why should Russia be okay with that? Well, yeah, look, I mean, you know, the points I try to make is, you know, I try to be a bit consistent about this and, and a bit fair, if you like. Uh, as you point out, um, well, for, well, first, the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is 60 years ago next week, I think, actually. Um, yeah, the US put these missiles in Turkey, right? And uh, Khrushchev was furious, so he put missiles in Cuba. And then the US was furious, and then there was almost nuclear war. And then the US, to its credit, to Kennedy's great credit, he agreed to withdraw the missiles from Turkey. And so Russia took its missiles away from Cuba. So it was you know, problem solved. There was negotiation. Uh, very wise, <laughs> very, very wise. The world came extremely close to, um, you know, to complete Armageddon. So that was a sign of great statesmanship. I'm not seeing too much of that now. It's if you say in the public domain, we should negotiate with Russia or we should at least try to see the world the way they see it, you get called a traitor and a you know, treason, you know, the treason and, you know, a piece of shit and all this sort of stuff. I mean, it's, mm. it's extraordinary, actually. Um, and just on the Russia question, I mean, you know, they, who knows what the motivations really are? I mean, they say it's NATO related and they were led to believe it's true rightly or wrongly for many decades that NATO would not expand eastward. And it did over and over and over again. And it's not just Putin, but Yeltsin, the former president also said the same thing. He was very angry about it too. Very angry about it. And for them, Ukraine was the, you know, the last, you know, the last country that they could possibly, well, they, they said that they would not accept NATO and Ukraine. Like, they just would not because of its historical relationship with Russia and it's so close to Russia and all that sort of stuff. So they said that multiple times and, and they actually said before the war started in February that they just wanted a guarantee from a Ukraine and the rest of the world that Ukraine would never join NATO. And, and, NATO, and Ukraine said no, the US said no, and so they invaded. So, you know, whose fault is that? Okay, Russia did invade, I agree, but they said they would if they did not get this other guarantee, which I think they should have tried. You know, why not give the guarantee and maybe there wouldn't have been a war? I mean, that, that would yeah. have been a big win in my view, especially since France and Germany said they, that they were never going to let, let a Ukraine in NATO anyway. So, like, it was just so stupid to me. It was just, it was just this pride thing in the US that, oh, no, we must, we must, Ukraine must have all the options of any other country. I mean, that's just not practical and not realistic. Mm. I mean, Russia is a great power, been around a long time. It's very powerful. You've got to respect that whether you, whether you like them or not. That's just the reality of the world. The same with China. You might like, hate their system and think it's awful, as you know, as I do. But you've got to respect the country and its and its sphere of influence. But I, I go, I, I just go between these two poles of, you know, sometimes I want to just, you know, do the whole give peace a chance chant. And then other times, I, like when this guy gets on TV and, and threatens nuclear war, part of me, you know, a 90s action movie part of me just says... Get the low-flying Blackhawks over there right now and take this. He's a bad hombre. He's got to go. So I don't, I don't know what to. I don't know what to do. Well, you've got to realise that, that he is a bad hombre, but he's he's quite likely, if he was taken out, to be replaced by someone even more hardcore. Uh, you know, Putin is, at least in my view, from having read about him a lot and watched him. And I recommend to your listeners to watch the Oliver Stone four-part series, uh, the interviews with Putin at the at his various palaces in 2016. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. And you realise he's, you know, he's very educated, very rational and calm kind of individual. He's not an extremist. He just happens to think that this part of Ukraine is essential to Russia's future. Maybe he's wrong, maybe he's right. That's what he thinks. <clears throat> but my view is that I think the next leader would think the same thing. So 
point is, I think knocking him out is not not going to help the situation. In fact, it could make it a lot worse. Uh, and you know, the West were in many senses welcoming Putin into their you know the homes and everything for twenty years. You know, kind of dealing with him, especially Germany. Um, Celebrities you know, as well, almost fating him as a rational actor until you know until twenty fourteen, and now suddenly he's a crazy madman. I mean, that doesn't that's not logical. Well, I, I, I like this quote that you, you put in one of your recent pieces from John F. Kennedy, who I, I think was quoting a military historian, um, that, that never corner an opponent and always assist, assist him to save face, put yourself in his shoes. Now, in Eastern philosophy, I believe it's called extending a golden bridge to your opponent. Do, do we have a problem in the West in that in that our politicians just, just aren't of a very high calibre anymore? I mean, I... I can't imagine Biden or Harris pulling out a quote like that, you know, nor, nor figures like, you know, Boris Johnson or our own Anthony Albo Albanese, you know, I couldn't, yeah. couldn't imagine them being that well read, you know. Yeah, look, I think that's a good point. And that's a very profound, deep question. And I don't have an answer to it. I agree with the premise. The quality has gone down a lot. But, um, you know, what is the cause of that? Is it the particular? Is it because something I used to think, is it because the finance sector basically became so powerful it sucked out of all the most brilliant people who would have otherwise gone into politics or law, right? And that that maybe is it. Uh, well, you, you know, not just finance, but, you know, consulting, all these extremely high-paying industries that never existed 50 years ago, right? Um, <clears throat> they sucked away all the smart people and you're just kind of left with the dregs a bit in politics. Maybe that's one explanation. Or maybe it's just the general standard of education now is so poor uh, compared to 50, 60 years ago, both at secondary a school and also university. I mean, it's unbelievably low. Um, just, just back to the war, the only analogy you ever hear is the Second World War. I'm so sick of hearing about 1938 and Czechoslovakia. Is that the only thing that you people know? I mean, there's been so many wars in history, so many examples to cite upon, and the only uh, debating point people make is, oh, it's appeasement. Remember the Second World War? Well, that's one war out of, you know, lots of wars. Uh, so people just don't have any historical memory. They've got no idea. Even the First World War, which I occasionally refer to, and I think is much more relevant to this particular uh, case because that crazy war started over some far-flung little province of an empire that no one knew where it was and just and just through pride basically ended up sucking all of Europe into this like shocking war for years which everyone thought would be over really quickly and it was not it took four years and millions died so so that's you know I think that's a better example than the second world war but anyway a lot of people, especially if under forty, they don't they don't know anything about the First World War. And what's the mm. reaction been to your your piece, particularly your your uh, apocalyptic piece about about Russia? Uh, well, um, well, certainly amongst our readers at the Australian, who are pretty conservative, as you know, um, I think it was probably fifty fifty. Like a lot of people were upset that I'd taken that line, that, that I'd taken the so called pacifist appeasement line, but I was Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> Uh, the pussy line. They're going, oh, yeah, they're right, going, Adam's right. a pussy. Um, also, I mean, he criticised Neville Chamberlain, but I mean, what was he supposed to do? I mean, that, that, that was probably the rational thing to do. He was supposed time. to we're shoot gonna, Hitler under the critical. table like Han Solo. <laughs> he used to just go, bang. <laughs> but we only criticise him with the benefit of hindsight. I mean, he didn't, he didn't know what was going to happen. It was probably quite rational to try to make peace with this crazy man, Hitler even if it turned out badly. But never, anyway, that's a whole other story for the shoot. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, you get a lot of flack on Twitter. As I, I mean, I always do, but I got a lot over that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I don't care. I mean, I've been <laughs> I've been saying stuff that annoys people for a long time, so. But shouldn't I'm, just be, I'm just interested because, you know, you took, you took a, a uh, uh, I don't even know what to call it, a, a, a thoughtful position about COVID and the lockdowns, and here, here you are again, you know, trying to find 
you know, trying to do what journalists do. And I feel like it, it, the, the there's just there's uh, hazards out there for anyone putting you trying to do that like you are. Yeah, no, it's a hysterical environment. There's and there's a this great tendency to denounce people who aren't you know, with the majority as traders or outsiders or, or in the case of COVID, you know, threats to the public health and all this sort of stuff. Pretty scary because, you know, that's always gone on, but it's much more scary with social media because it's so instant and the pile-on is so massive and people are so vicious. I mean, that, you know, I did a tweet a few days ago. Just It always shocks me how vicious people are on Twitter to each other, to people they've never met. Mm, and they would yeah. never behave like that in person. Like, I mean, I just, I find that, so some, some Sydney law professor who I'd never heard of, but he was a law professor at Sydney University, said some snide, snarky thing to me on Twitter. And I was kind of shocked. I'm like, man, you're meant to be a law professor at Sydney University. Like, I actually said to him, would you talk to me like that in person? And, of course, he was, like, shocked that I wrote back rationally. But there's no way he would. No Mm. way if we were at an event. He'd be be polite like anyone would be. And yet for some reason on on social media, people are emboldened to, to just be horrible but to be fair i've thought about this because i read your haters as well uh and i read you and your haters and and i'm but i'm fascinated by the how on twitter something about the that particular platform turns everyone into a total son of a bitch like even people that i deeply respect like that like i see them on interviews i go i love you i read your books and then suddenly they go on twitter and they just yeah. they just punching people in the nuts all the time yeah no it's it's true um <laughs> it's true and i don't know why i think maybe it's just the you know you only get so many characters i don't know it lends itself to grandstanding you know it's the ultimate grandstanding platform i mean you saw through covid so much grandstanding just all these you know kind of covidians or pro lockdown people just talking about how much they care about old people it, it makes me sick actually mm. they couldn't give a stuff about old people it's just yeah you know they just want to be seen to be virtuous. That's revolting. Anyway. Well, I, I think I read somewhere recently that uh, is, is it California that's uh, put a new bill forward that doctors are going to be uh, p- penalised or well, for, for, for misinformation. It, it was it was signed a couple of weeks ago wow. by the governor, which is pretty extraordinary. I thought he wouldn't sign it. This is crazy. But um, yeah, now that there's this kind of broad power for doctors to be deregistered if they disagree with, well, sorry if they tell their patients misinformation. Yeah. So if you're a doctor, it's really going to chill what you what you say to your patients, especially a new patient. You don't know that patient could go off and, and you know tell the medical board that you've been spreading misinformation and then you lose your entire career. Yeah. Um, pretty crazy stuff, especially since it's obviously stemmed from COVID and the medical board there hates the fact that some doctors don't recommend the vaccines for certain uh, uh, for people of certain ages, which I think is a you know, perfectly reasonable thing to suggest. But, you know, because, you know, the kind of medical authoritarianism we've been living in, you know, there's only one There's only one right answer to everything. Mm. Well, it seems to be spilling out in, into into different areas as well, because I know PayPal now has in its updated uh, terms and conditions that uh, if you spread misinformation, that <laughs> yeah, you can well, be fined $2,000 and thrown off the platform, you know. Yeah, well, well, they've walked that back. <laughs> I mean, that was quite extraordinary. So they've said that was an accident and it's not their policy. Um, but it clearly was going to be until someone leaked it. And there was extraordinary blowback, as this should be. I mean, what? (laughs) It's just crazy. I mean... Who the hell do they think they are? But 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 that that's a bit of a tactic I find. Like I think Facebook does a lot of this, where they sort of step over the line, they get some blowback, and they roll it back. 
but still they're just getting a little bit closer to that line. You know, every single time they roll it back, but still they're oh, getting no, closer. That's, that's you know? definitely the trajectory we're all on. I mean, wow. That's, I think the prospect of an Elon Musk takeover of Twitter and, and the removal of uh, censorship, I think that's a very isolated case. That's, that's, that's not the general direction. You know, you saw, you saw in Canada everyone was, was quite happy for the Canadian government to, to freeze the financial accounts of people it didn't like. That's, mm. oh, you know, yes. because of their political views. That, that, was, that was pretty extraordinary stuff. That's what we do to, we do to uh, yeah, warring countries and terrorists. Yes. We, we did that to truckers. And, you know, what's, what scares me more with all this is that it's popular, you know. It's popular. Mm. People love it, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, being a, being a classical liberal or, or libertarian or whatever you want to call it uh, is a lonely place to be most of the time. Only, only 10% of the population is ever going to agree with you, basically. <laughs> but, but 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 what is this why are principles so hard to find nowadays you know what i mean like like i this is the thing i i grapple with all the time i i, I just want to ask everyone what's the principal position here what's the principal position that people seem unable to answer that question they always are keen to just go well what i want is the principal position and you say no no that's not the principal position why why is this so elusive yeah, look, it's a good question, and I agree with you. I think 50, 60 years ago, people were probably a lot more principled in politics than they are now. And, you know, why has that changed? Um, I think, you know, the first thing is, you know, someone that studied economics, I always think, is it's got something to do with, like, wealth, and I think it does. We're just so rich now as a society in the West that nothing seems to matter as much anymore. Like, you know, it's just you know, life and death. You know, there are very few life and death issues anymore, or there are very few people living in extreme poverty anymore. So there's a sense that... Yeah, there's just a carefree sense, I think, you know, about politics. I don't think politics matters as much as it used to, say. Well, they take it seriously in, a, in an identity sense, but I don't think they take it really seriously as they might have in the 1920s or 1930s when there were really big philosophical debates about how society should be run. I don't think there are any of those debates anymore. Um, it's not a very good answer to your question. No, no, it's a, it's a big sky question and it, and it yeah. needed a big sky answer. So... Mm-hmm. Maybe to, to circle it back to where we started, uh, you know, if you if you had to call this mid, these midterms, what what would you be saying? Oh, look, I think Republicans will win both chambers, um, and you know, not by a lot. I think they really need to win the Senate for reasons I said earlier. It'd be very embarrassing if they don't. For them, uh, they only need to obviously in net terms win one seat. <laughs> uh, and the reason I say that is because I think polling is systematically biased against Republicans, and what reminded me of that was the polling in Brazil just last week, of course not Republicans, but, you know, conservative socialists, was out massively in favour of the socialists, massively, like shockingly, 13 percentage points. It was unbelievable. It wasn't just one poll, they all were. So everyone was like, Bolsonaro is going to lose by a lot. And he almost won. (laughs) And now if you look at betting markets for round two in a few weeks, he's predicted to win. I mean, just reminded me that Polls can be systematically so wrong. And in the US, they were in 2016 too, remember? Mm. Uh, so I just think that in the US, your people are saying that they'll vote Democrat. They won't actually on the day. And that will get Republicans across the line. Is that as simple as because because if you have any other answer other than I love the Democrats and, every, and, and their whole platform, then people are, then you will be totally isolated? Uh, well, look, yeah. You know, there's a, I think the media makes people feel guilty about being Republican by and large, and so that kind of filters out there. Um, but people still have their own views, and when they vote, they vote privately. No one can see how they vote. So 
you get different outcome there. I mean, I think it's fair to say that you know, 70% of the mainstream media, maybe 80%, is extremely pro-democratic. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a very powerful force in, in society, I think, uh, in moulding political outcomes. I mean, I do think if the if the left, the progressive left, didn't have the media, they'd never win an election because you know a lot of their policies are just increasingly crazy, uh, like all the you know the trans stuff, the, you know the trans sports issues. I've heard about it. Yeah, stuff in schools and all that sort of crazy stuff. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's extremely alienating to ordinary people. Well, what, what, what about the crime? Hmm? Sorry. What, what about the crime, Adam? Well, yeah. Well, well, crime has gone up here. You know, it's on the, you know, the debates depending on which statistics you look at, but I think it's unambiguous that. It's gone up significantly. I mean, what 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 some Dems now try to say is, oh, it's gone down a little bit from last year. But but what they don't say is that the huge increase in the pandemic from 2020, sorry, from 19 to 20, was extraordinary, and it just mm. hasn't gone down. So that's so that's the real story. So, so that gets back to lockdown policies. That that the insanity of all that. Uh, you know, but remember, in this country, they threw like 16 million people out of work in like a week or two. <laughs> Yeah. And so I think that's going to have an effect, you know, on your social, you know, social balance. Um, and since they did that, you've had this level shift in crime. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, um, you know, it's hard to get it down again, as, as history shows. But, uh, you know, it's true that the Fox News of the world, they, you know, they exaggerate things. But that's what all media always does. I don't know, uh, Adam. I I, I've seen these videos, I mean, that I see on Twitter. I tell you, I know that I'm being fed some of this stuff. But if you ask me how many hatchet attacks there should be, like, you know, some McDonald's or whatever, I would say there shouldn't be many, but there's more happening than I would have thought. No, no, it's it's true, and it seems each day on Fox there's this new horrific video of something in in the in the New York subway of just some some innocent person just being beaten to death or stabbed. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I can't. Twitter Twitter just shows it to me, like shoots it straight in my brain, and I feel really quite upset when when yeah. I see. Oh this no, stuff. it's awful, and you know it's actually affecting people's decisions. I mean, I, I've got some friends uh, who live in New York, and they and they don't get the subway anymore, just at all. Yeah, so because of this, the 1970s. This sort of I mean, they're, they're quite wealthy, yeah. so they can get you know they can get driving around. But um, you know, the point is, it is actually changing people's behaviour. These videos, and you know, even me. I mean, when I'm on the subway now in New York, I always uh, since that horrific story about six months ago of, of of the poor Asian woman who was pushed in front of a train by that um, deranged black guy. Uh, it, was, it was horrible, just totally horrible. She was on her way to Deloitte to work or something, or Goldman Sachs or wherever it was. You know, professional woman minding her own business. There one minute and gone the next. Oh my God. Uh, every time I'm on the platform, I, I'm now standing back and I'm looking around, you know, because that would be just such a horrible way to go. So horrible. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like a bit of a parochial though? Because you're from Australia and nothing really happens here and we're a yeah, bit frightened oh yeah. overall? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm worried yeah. that someone's going to hit me with a, with a sock full of quarters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah look, I mean, Australia, yeah, I mean, Australia has far less crime up. Uh, proportionately um you know it's a small place and you know, having lived here now for one and a half years almost uh you know you realize you know how kind of parochial it is back home and there's not much to talk about not much really happens that's why we got to talk so, to you man right especially around christmas very difficult to fill a newspaper and things that make the news back home would never make the news here like never but and then again one of the things that happens there would be would be they do a year on it here like if it was like the, some of the dreadful stuff that I've seen, I've seen would be, if it happened in Australia, like would just be huge. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. I mean, yeah, the threshold to be a crime story here is really high uh, because there's so much of it. 
Mm. So much of it. A group of girls the other day dressed up in green outfits and robbed yes, people I've on the this. subway. It, like they were oh, yes, that was they, yeah, that's another they look, crazy subway. They, I know. They, I looked, know. <laughs> they looked fabulous, and they just and they stole all this stuff, and they've already been let out, I think. But um, <laughs> so yeah, terrible stuff. Yeah, we're very mindful of your time, uh, Adam. So we might uh, we might uh, have to leave it there. But uh, if people want to follow you, they can do that uh, via Twitter. Yep, yes, sorry, that's right. They can follow me at Adam underscore Crichton. Be nice. Uh, yes, be nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, they can abuse me there. That's that's the best place to abuse. I'm going to start white knighting your. I'm going to start defending you on Twitter. I'm going to do it. Some people do. Some brave little souls yeah. do. It. All right, I'll join. Um, you. Anyway, well, I hope I haven't said anything that gets sacked. I always worry about these things. Don't worry. We'll go down with you. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Me. Thanks, Adam. The we'll talk to Thank you again. You. Yeah, bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the New Flesh podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then... Long live the new flesh.